Good afternoon and you're welcome to a very special edition of English Time. It is December the 29th and we are coming towards the end of the year. So this week we're going to do a slightly different program. I'm just going to have two guests. I'll introduce them to you in a second. And we're going to talk about kind of what's gone on and what is still to come this year. But before we do that, let me just bring you up to speed in what is still going on in Adeje for the next next couple of days because Christmas isn't over here in Adeje. Um, so we have... Uh, coming up, there's a, a farewell to 2020 concert in the Plaza Salitien tomorrow, Friday, the 30th. And that's from nine o'clock and it includes an, an homage, a homage to Ella Fitzgerald in the Plaza Salitien on Saturday, the 31st of December. It is New Year's Eve and there's going to be a big, big, big party in the Plaza de España in Adeje. Starts at half past 11, goes on till six in the morning. I don't think I can keep up my energy levels to that particular height. Then, of course, is the big event for people who are from here, from Spain, or those of us who've lived here for many, many years, because the three kings, their majesties, will arrive into Adeje by helicopter on the 5th of January at 5 o'clock, 5 p.m. into the Adeje football stadium. Uh, and that is free to go along to until it's full. I am trying to get an interview with one of the kings for English time on that morning now, on that day, on Thursday the 5th. If I can get an interview, it'll probably be by phone because they will be travelling to Adeje. But we keep our fingers crossed I can do that. And then on that evening from 7 o'clock, there will be a big parade of the kings through the Calle Grande, through the main street of Adeje. Um, and they meet some children then at the end of that. But obviously everyone but wants to get home and go to sleep because the next day is King's Day. And there'll be a couple of other events, but I will talk to you more about them on the 5th when we talk to you again live here on English Time. Now, my two guests for today, uh, one is known to both of us, I think, as Dame Janet, Janet Anscombe. <laughs> Welcome Hello, to the programme, Janet. You're with us every month, but this is, and normally we do an end of the month review, but now we're kind of go, going to do a mixture of an end of the year review and a look ahead to 2023. And also on the phone, I have Cheryl LaMontagne, who is a former American, current British national. She's also, she's a teacher. She, she's a commentator. Um, she's a founder member of the Adeje Focus Group. So I thought the three of us, uh, three strong female voices, why not, would have a look at, at the year gone by, uh, what's been making the news, a little bit of Brexit. Maybe a little bit of Eurovision and um, <laughs> let's look ahead a little bit as well. So welcome to English Time. Welcome to the special English Time, both of you. Thank Thanks, you. It's nice. It's nice to have you both back. Now, Dame Janet, um, Cheryl, that's your moniker for Janet. So was it this year, Janet, that you finally got your <coughs> your medal? Yeah. Yeah, it was in it was in February. Um, I think it was February the fifteenth. It it feels like it's only a few weeks ago. This year has <laughs> flown by. It's I don't been know where this year has gone. I think the last three years we've talked about this since COVID yeah. started. I mean, for yeah. many people, twenty twenty seemed to just not exist. It, there was like a concertina effect of years. And exactly. 2020 was squeezed between 2019 and, and 2021 in a way. I think that's true. And I think we're still living in a way. I think we're still sort of mentally in in that period, aren't we? We're still sort of bracketed with, with COVID still going on um, and people still being required to wear masks on public transport or in medical facilities. And 
it just feels like more of the same. And I, you're right. I don't know where the last three years has gone. Never mind this last year. <laughs> it's the same thing we say at our house. We, we, the time is absolutely flying by. Cheryl, you, I mean, you, you have been vaccinated as well. Do you think, I mean, it's one of the things in a way that people have kind of forgotten how we were in 2020. And the danger, the, the, the sense of danger that COVID brought to us in 2020 and to a degree in 2021 seems to have disappeared this year. Would that be fair? I, I have to agree with you. Yes, definitely. And um, a lot of it, I think, has been influenced by visitors from other countries. Uh, they're, they're all back and everybody's now ignoring that there's any risk whatsoever. Are people taking up vaccines? Do you think there should be more campaigning to get people to take their third or second booster? Uh, that, that's a very good question. Um, as soon as I heard that, that the, the latest booster was available, I booked us in and we, and we got it done. It was, it was an absolute piece of cake, but I don't really know what the uptake is on it. I think most people uh, are, are getting their boosters. Yeah, I mean, I, Janet, what are the figures like or what have the figures been like coming up to the year's end since we entered what other people call winter and we never know what to call it here? <laughs> <laughs> but. It was, it went down. I mean, it comes in waves, as we all know, and it went down through the summer to about 150 cases a week, bearing in mind that the only group that's being monitored um, is the over 60. So that it doesn't reflect the whole burden of COVID in, in the islands. It just reflects the existence of COVID in that particular group. So it's considerably more than just 150 cases a week. Now, we're talking of nigh on 800 that's with a winter a wave coming, and that's again just in the over 60s. And it, it is unfortunate, I suppose, for those who want the booster, that it is the second booster, specially adapted for the variants, the Omicron variants, is only really available at the moment still to the over 60s or those with any conditions. But anybody with a vulnerability surely is checking what is available and, and making use of it because they will want to protect themselves. But the government keeps on banging the drum, get your second booster if you're over 60 or if you're vulnerable. Don't forget the flu jab either because we've got the winter wave of that coming. The very fact they seem to feel the need to keep banging this drum suggests there isn't quite an uptake that you might expect. I mean, do you think... Governments like I am, for instance, are looking at China to see what's going to happen now that they, they have kind of had their, their play game changed by, by public protest and they're lifting their zero policy, but with a very, very low level of vaccination, especially among the elderly. One of the lines I heard out of China recently was, well, Omicron isn't as dangerous, but last year we were all terrified of Omicron. Yeah, it has become more flu-like and that I can hear uh, in response to those very words, people saying, see, told you it would, told you it would get like this. But the potential for other variants remains. Flu is flu. This is not flu. It's a coronavirus and it can still mutate into forms that are far more dangerous. It is not worth taking a risk, even though the current variants. And let's not forget that Omicron is one variant of which there are now many okay. sub-variants, any one of which could be could be different. We 
are still in a position where governments are afraid to be autocratic. They're afraid of how to deal with the response if there are protests. The anti-vax campaign has not gone away. If anything, it has gained arms and legs because now they're saying, look, look at all the strep A cases in the UK, for example. And this is a direct result of the vaccine. No, it's a direct result of ongoing exposure to COVID. This is now recognised and confirmed by public health experts. The strep A outbreaks in the UK are because children have been not vaccinated and have been exposed again and again to a mild um, variant of COVID, which has reduced their immunity. Hence, they're now getting strep at a level which mm. makes it very, very dangerous. It has been one of the so saddest again, news the message is get vaccinated, but governments are afraid to say it because they are afraid of triggering a protest type response or misinformation such as we get from the anti-vax lobby. I mean, it's the it is the it hasn't gone away, you know, and it never will. I, I, most governments seem to have adopted that policy, Cheryl. I think that this is now something that is just part of the health agenda annually um, and whether people do or don't get shots or build up levels of immunity by getting COVID, it's just now part of our, our parlance, part of our, our, our health speak, isn't it? Oh, unfortunately, yes, I think that's true. But in line with what Janet was saying, there was the case of the, the little baby boy who needed heart surgery in New Zealand this week, and his parents refused to let him have the surgery if vaccinated blood were used for the required transfusions. Fortunately, the New Zealand government stepped in and gave gave control of the situation to the medics, mm-hmm. and the little boy's had his operation, and it's going to be fine. I heard about that. I, I, speaking of foreigners i'm sorry that's that's a very uh, weak link i did want to, to to kind of move on to tourism i mean you mentioned this at the beginning janet um one of the reasons that perhaps we're seeing more cases but also that people are beginning to forget about the dangers of covid is that tourism has been booming in the canary islands i mean in spain in general but in in the canary islands and in tenerife you know in certain places we are um getting we are getting more visitors than we did in 2019 pre-pandemic now that's good for yeah. business is it bad for our health or is it just something as a tourism destination that we we need to control well and live with i, I think it was cheryl who made the point about tourism and and the covid link um but yeah it, it's it's a situation we have discussed so many times now the canary government itself as Elsewhere, in the Balearics, for example, and the other day in Barcelona, you know, wherever you look, um, people are saying the same. The authorities are saying the same thing. We want to maintain the revenue, but we want to decrease the number of tourists bringing that revenue, which means we have to go niche and we have to go upmarket. And niche in the Canaries, at least, means... I don't know, cycling, gastronomy, stargazing, um, spa holidays, golfing holidays, not the sun, sea and sangria brigades who are still coming. I mean, look at the brawl only recently in the World Cup Mm -hmm. before England and Wales had even met. Well, they met on the streets of Tenerife first. That is not wanted here. And that's exactly the sort of tourism that increases risk on every level for our society. 
as we're talking about that, I mean, one of the stories that has been making headlines is the growth in tourists from the United States of America. Uh, David Perez, who is the head of Tenerife Tourism or Turismo de Tenerife, has been really busy this year. I mean, last year we, they announced the start of flights, direct flights from Newark into the south of Tenerife, and that seems to have gone really, really well. Um, I, I was just reading today that there is a, a program that will be going out on PBS next week called Hidden Canary Islands. And apparently, you know, this is, they reckon it'll be seen by over 260 million North Americans um, in the next couple of months. And in general, uh, like we had a delegation recently, last week, at the a Congress in Texas, um, which was a, a tourism Congress, and they're saying there's a 52% increase in the number of tourists coming from the United States of America. Cheryl, that's that's your old stomping ground. Um, do you think that the Canary Islands could become a major destination for holiday seekers from the USA? I, I tend to doubt it. I think it's a lot cheaper and quicker to go to Mexico. Quite frankly, <laughs> uh, and um, I, I take a slightly different view of 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 this this tourist push, which is, you know. The, all over the world, we're trying to reduce reliance on fossil fuels, reduce pollution, <laughs> reduce a carbon footprint. The idea of massively importing people from another continent is insane. Isn't that what our economy needs to rely on, though? Well, I wish they would put half as much thought into reducing the island's reliance on tourism. There, there are many, many other sectors we could be focusing on. Uh, renewable energies, uh, the agriculture, this, this, this place could be a gold mine of agriculture. A lot of other things. Um, I just think that, that reducing our population to chambermaids and bar, bartenders is ridiculous. Could you, could you, I mean, I'm going to devil's advocate here because if you kind of combine this, the desire obviously to bring in North American tourism with the need to move away from sun, sea and sand. I mean, if the island were to actually look at evolving into some kind of an eco-tourist destination with a lot more walks, with, with the night sky views that Janet was talking about and, and attract people who are going to spend more money, but in less quantity. Would that work? So you have maybe numerically fewer tourists, but tourists who, who bring more books. Absolutely. No, I, th- I think, I think that's a, a fabulous way to, to, to look at things and to try and develop it. Uh, it nothing is going to change overnight, no. clearly. Uh, but, but there are some major, some major thinking that has to go into the planning for the economy here. For example, if you, if you look, uh, at the traffic that comes down from the north, down to the south and west, in order to service the tourist industry of a morning, it's ridiculous. This is true, and that is another big, big issue, I think, that is going to be dealt with. And again, there's two sides to that story. There's, I think, governments are saying that they're looking at bringing in a third lane, and then there's some of us who think, why not bring the tram lane all the way down? And so we have proper public transport, and there are arguments on both sides of that. I don't think we're going to solve it here on this particular version of English time. Listen, let's, so that's, I mean, we've looked at, at Tenerife, we've looked at what's going on and what possibly will go on next year. I mean, I think if, if, if the tourism forecasts are correct and there is no other COVID wave, the tourism industry will be healthy next year. But let's, let's just take a little break maybe and let's just go a little bit musical just for a second. Stefania, mamo, mamo, Stefania, rozkwitaje pole, a wona 
Полезне съм брата, мене бота лаба на нефе не стала, може би че и ви спала мона лома, не ме дорога, ме прейду, я съм до тебе вона, не разбуди се, буди, мене се ни бури, забера бабули, битули, ни бе вони кули, души добре стала мене не бола обманута. Окей, there's no prizes for guessing who that is. Uh, I don't know, Cheryl, you're not as big a Eurovision fan as me and Janet, but if we're going to talk about last year, next year, we had to bring the Eurovision in, and that's the Kalush Orchestra from Ukraine, who overwhelmingly won the public vote of the Eurovision Song Contest this year, which was held, and very nicely held in Italy, Janet. Yeah, I mean, it was one of the best produced and presented Eurovision Song Contest finals I, I can remember. I mean, they, they did a fabulous, fabulous job. And I think we knew, didn't we? Um, the, the surprise was not Ukraine sweeping the board. The surprise was in the UK coming second and Spain coming third. I'm just going to say they second and third songs, place. They had good songs, really good songs yeah. for change. And it means that this year, next year rather, it, it's in Liverpool and Spain's entry will be chosen at the Benidorm Okay, let's roll back for one second. I mean, we'll explain to me. It's in Liverpool because there is no way that Ukraine can hold a Eurovision Song Contest in any part of Ukraine. And and the UK stepped in. And I think it was generally felt that this was a good thing, that, that it would be held in the UK. And Liverpool, I think a lot of people said, home of the Beatles, it's the right place for it to be. I know, I think Glasgow were in the running too. And Maybe yes, Scottish were. independence would have played too much of a part in that. I don't know. Was there politics involved? <laughs> I suspect so. Yeah, I, I suspect so. But this year, the UK's entry last year was so good that it was had it not and been for the war in Ukraine, I think it would have had a good chance of winning. Um, and indeed coming so strongly second suggests that. So it's quite appropriate the UK is hosting it. Um, what Spain will choose this year is another matter, but it'll, um, for next year, but it'll be decided in the Benidorm Song Festival in fe- February. And we have two candidates from Tenerife who could end up representing Spain in the Eurovision Song Contest in Liverpool 2023. And, and one not just from Tenerife, uh, and not just from the south of Tenerife, but from Adeje, and very much Absolutely. a friend of this of this station, and that's Agonai. Yes, I, I mean the Benidorm Fest has now become, in a sense, the Euro Song for Spain. It's there is about eighteen finalists chosen. They're already chosen. Now it works slightly differently if I'm right that the singers are chosen, but we don't don't know their songs yet. Is that right? That, as far as I understand it, we don't know the songs yet. And, um, yeah, it's going to be a major thing. But it's, it's how most countries, who, well, a fair proportion of the countries who participate in the Eurovision, um, do select their to- song. I mean, Iceland does it, San Remo in Italy. Um, why, why not a song contest, a national song contest to choose? The song that, if the singer wants to, will be allowed to represent the country in the Eurovision. One Good of, luck, Agonise. One of the, I mean, I, I would, we would obviously, this is completely biased, but we would love Agonise to win it. But the other Absolutely. one is there's Melania, Absolutely. and there's also a drag singer who who seems to be one of the top favourites called Sharon. 
uh, and she 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 can sing as well as act. She's fabulous on stage. I mean, has the Eurovision people will say that Kalush won because of the war? Now, I you know, the more I hear the song, the more I love it. And Ukraine the year before had an incredible song as well. Um, so you know, I think the Eurovision this year put paid to a lot of people's um, political objections to the competition because they always say the big five don't win. It's a political voting. Now, maybe it was political voting, but the two of the big five were in the top three. Um, it's blown apart the argument that the big five can't win. Because the big five, by the way, well. it's blown it apart. Because the, the key thing was that although it is not the song that the Spanish public would have chosen for Chanel, it was actually a good song and the public vote showed that it was widely appreciated. So maybe the public aren't always the best judge of what's <laughs> going to represent their country. And it's it's notable that Spain and the UK last year, it was not a public vote that decided. It was a jury, a professional jury that decided which song was going to go and represent. This is obviously the way forward. Uh, but Sam, to be fair, Sam, who sang for England, he became famous through his Instagram and TikTok videos. So Absolutely. he, he, he yes, had he deserved, a huge public following. And, you know, the, okay. it's interesting the way the world of music has changed and keeps changing. And half the time, I don't know how to keep up. I have to be perfectly honest. Um, staying with politics and staying with the war in Ukraine. And I mean, I know people are saying this is English time. This is a deche. But I think what happens outside affects us all. Um, I don't, I don't know. Cheryl, Janet, do either of you see that war being resolved by the time we get to the Eurovision in May, I presume? No, sadly not. No, no. no. I agree. And and the wave of Ukrainian refugees that are coming to a lot of countries continue to be welcomed all over the world, but I think they have caused, their arrival has also caused a shift in the way people are thinking about illegal immigration, and I think that's something that the UK has had to deal with this year. True, and in fact, I've got three Ukrainian so. refugees across the street from me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the yeah. Tenerife also welcomed many of them. We had an event here last month to raise funds for Ukrainian refugees as well. Um, again, staying abroad, um, well, staying abroad for a second and looking at elections, the midterm elections in the US were held this year. Um, and again, while it mightn't be local, elections affect everybody. And as we're coming to the end of the year, there seems to be layers and layers and layers of legal, I would say, restrictions to Trump, but nobody knows if the man can be restricted. Cheryl, what's your American gut there? Will he actually continue his run for the nomination in 2024? And do you think he'll get it? I think he is going to try his absolute best to be nominated, but I don't think the party will nominate him because he he's divisive and he is single-handedly tearing the Republican Party apart um, because of their 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 policies and their their intolerance and the bigotry and the hatred. Most people don't want to buy into that, and um, he's got a, a core of very, very loyal supporters, but not enough to swing an election. Uh, and I think he's also going to be indicted on some other charges by the time the convention rolls around in July, and so he may be busy trying to fight those off rather than running for president again. I mean, would there come a stage where legally uh, he would not be allowed to run for president if he had certain indictments against him? I don't know. It's no, not something no, I've looked there's, at. No, there's nothing, there's nothing to prevent him from, from being nominated and running if he's indicted for something now. 
Okay. Well, staying with elections, there are very important... Sounds a bit like in the UK, doesn't it, where you can be <laughs> up to all sorts of criminality and you, you stay in the House of Lords. <laughs> oh, well, that, I mean, it does make politics everywhere else quite dull and boring, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yes. All we have here are kind of rows about policies and uh, political stances in, in, in both at both local and national levels, so it's really very dull compared to what's going on in some of the bigger countries. <laughs> But let's stay with politics for a second because, of course, next May we do have local elections. So these are municipal elections in Spain where the local councils are elected and local councils here, as we know, do have quite a lot of power financially in in terms of, say, local education, uh, local funding. And I think it's important to remind people who are legally resident in Spain, in Adeje, um, if they are from the European Union or from Britain, that they have a right to vote. Yeah. Yes. Yep, indeed so. I, I think Britons need to be aware that the, they don't only have to be on the Council Padron, they also have to be on the census to allow them to vote. So they, if they want to vote, and obviously we all should, um, I think just simply for democratic reasons, um, they need to check that they are actually on the census and can, can vote. I mean, I know some British people get irritated because if they've lived here for more than 15 years, they are disenfranchised from voting in their elections back in the United Kingdom. Do you think that maybe people don't know and still don't know that they do have a voice here at local level and it's important to use that voice? I think it's a good message to get out, Cleo, because I I, I rather suspect a lot of people don't know that. Okay. I agree. Well, you have until the end of January. Do know, sometimes think it's it's a local election, therefore it's not as important perhaps as a general election might be. But of course, for our lives here, the councils are the main focus point for any social or cultural or even medical um, facilities that we might enjoy here. So it's very, very important to take part in these elections. And if you mm-hmm. have kids going to school, they, you know, they play a fair, fair part in how the schools are run. And it is also a point worth making that given that it's local elections, it's only a couple of hundred votes that can elect a councillor um, or an extra councillor for, for a particular party. So it's, it's not like you have a very small voice in a huge pond. It's one of those occasions where every vote matters. Indeed. Okay, before we go, let's get back to that horrible old unmentioned Brexit and the 90-100 day rule. And throughout the year, we've seen cases, not just in the, in Spain, of people who have kind of thought the 90 day in, the stay 90 and 100 day rule didn't apply to them. Do you think people are still confused about that? Still not sure how long they can stay? I think that the penny is beginning to drop, that it wasn't something that was in Spain's gift, that it wasn't going to be something the ambassador could personally wave a magic wand at, that it is a fundamental tenet um, of the framework of the Schengen area to which Spain is as much a signatory as it is in the EU. And since Spain cannot go against its own contractual agreements within Schengen, the 90 days is here to stay. And I think the penny is beginning to drop and British nationals might also be aware, need to be aware that in 2023, the EU ETIAS visa waiver is finally likely to come into play. So they're going to have to register to come into the EU um, just as people have to register to 
to get a visa, if you like, to go to America, except in the case of coming to the EU, it's, an, it's a visa waiver. Cheryl, could you explain a little bit about what people have to do? In, do you know, in one minute. <laughs> when, when it comes to registering to go to the States? Um, all I know is that you can you can do it online. <laughs> okay. Well, as Janet says, it's something that that is due to come in um, in 2023, and it, it as far as I know, it will be a, for a small price, and it will last over three years, and it will give yes. you that right to travel within the Schengen area. So we we hope that all goes well, and with driving licenses, another big issue um, that hopefully will get resolved finally, 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 early in 2023. Janet. That's a given now, yes. Janet and Cheryl, thank you so much for helping me get to the end of what has been um, a good year, I feel, a strange year, a year that I hope is a good launch pad for what will be a healthier and happier 2023. And we're going to leave with the most streamed song. Uh, and I think it's probably an appropriate title. This is Harry Styles with As It Was. Happy New Year. Happy everyone. New Year. Happy New Year. Do you want?